Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse 7, and I'm going to read uh, through chapter 12, verse 8. Ecclesiastes 7 through chapter 12, verse 8. Hear now the word of God. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken where the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, where the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? That is a... That's a hard, it's a sad message to hear. To hear of things decaying. To hear vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It is, those are difficult words for us to receive, and so we need your help. Would you give us clarity to understand what you were saying to us? Would you give us humility? To receive what you were saying to us, would you open our eyes and our ears? Open our hearts to receive your word and to be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember your commencement address at your graduation? College, grad school, high school, kindergarten? I don't know if they have commencement addresses at kindergarten graduations. But do you remember that speech? It's an interesting tradition, isn't it? I think it comes from our conviction that the young need advice. And they need advice at significant junctures in their life, and so we get someone that we think is important or wise to talk to them as they are graduating. Uh, But so often that advice is forgotten, uh, if it's even heard in the first place. I remember when I graduated from FSU, it was the... Uh, the end of the Clinton years, and Janet Reno, former former Attorney General, was our 
was our convocation speaker, our commencement speaker, and I don't remember what, much of what she said. I remember her talking about her little red pickup truck that she drove around the country in, and I don't remember what the point of that story was, uh, but I remember that story. We usually forget them, but every so often there's a commencement speech that connects, and it reverberates beyond even the original audience for that speech. So Winston Churchill, to the boys at the Harrow School in 1941, he said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. Steve Jobs, 2005, to the graduates of Stanford, said, your time is limited. Don't waste it living someone else's life. The same year, David Foster Wallace to the graduates of Kenyon College, one of the greatest commencement speeches of all time, talks about living with a constant awareness of what is real and what is important. And he says, be like a fish who says to itself, this is water. This is water. Our text this morning is a commencement address. These are the final words of the teacher. We'll find out next week that chapter 12 ends with words about the words of the teacher. But these are the final words of the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And they are addressed to the young. But their message speaks to us all because we have been in school with the teacher. We have been in school in the book of Ecclesiastes and we come to the end, we come to graduation, and the teacher sends us with this final commencement speech, and I hope it is one that reverberates in our life. And we shouldn't be surprised because it's at the end of this book, and it's summing up the themes of this book, that we find here repetition of things that we have heard earlier. The teacher turned once, uh, turns once again to this refrain, and he returns to it for the seventh time in the book of Ecclesiastes, the refrain of happiness. Verse 8 of chapter 11, rejoice in the years that you have. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, in your youth. He says to us once again, relax and enjoy the good parts. And what I want to do with this message this morning that we've heard again and again is I want to come to it and ask how. How can we rejoice? There is so much to grieve. There is so much in our lives and our world to fear. How can we rejoice? And I think we begin to hear the answer in what the teacher tells us to remember. He says in verse 8, remember the days of darkness. They are coming. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So the ability to rejoice comes from death and God. So first of all, death. 
This passage teaches us to be young by contrasting youth with age. And that contrast is shown primarily in the image of the difference between light and darkness. So the speech opens, verse 7 of chapter 11, talking about light and the ability to see the sun. In verse 9, he tells uh, the young man to walk in the ways of his heart, to walk with the sight of his eyes. And we need to see the contrast of that to verse 8, when he says, remember, there will be days of darkness. And he continues that theme in the poetry of chapter 12. Verse 2, the sun, the moon, the stars are dimmed. And that dimming theme continues throughout this poetry until we get to verse 6. And he talks about this golden bowl and this silver thread. And the idea here is of a lantern, a golden lantern that is shining bright, that provides light, and it's held in place by a silver cord. And that cord snaps, and the lantern drops and it shatters, and the light is extinguished. And connected to this image of darkness and light, the contrast of darkness and light, is also the movement of objects and people who are useful becoming useless. And the point of all of this is to communicate the light will dim and go out on your life. So enjoy it while it's on. The light will dim and go out on your life, so enjoy it while it is on. And this is one more way for the teacher to say what he said at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 2, what he's repeated throughout his message, and what he restates in chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And remember, that word vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. It doesn't mean meaningless. It means vapor. It speaks of the fragile and unpredictable nature of life. It speaks of our inability to have full knowledge and full control of what happens to us. And the proof, the greatest evidence, that life is a mist, it's a smoke that we can't grab a hold of, the biggest evidence of that is death. It is that the light dims and goes out and we can't stop it. It is a puff of smoke. It is is that we cannot hold dust and breath together. Verse 7 of chapter 12, he talks about the dust returning to the ground and the spirit, and the word spirit, the Hebrew word is ruach, it's the word for breath. It returns to God. This is the perspective of Genesis. Remember, God forms Adam out of the ground, out of the dust, and then he breathes into his nostril. And that combination, the combination of dust and breath, is life. But we are unable to hold those two things together. And it crumbles, 
and we return to our origins. The dust returns to the ground. The breath returns to God. (coughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) Right? Depressing, isn't it? Well, hold on. It gets better. But also know that we need to hear this, depressing though it is, because it is truth. And it is a truth that forces us to ask, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the absolute fact that the light dims and goes out? Joss Whedon, television, movie, creator, director. Some of you know of my... I have, I'm a little bit embarrassed about my love for Joss Whedon, but I like Joss Whedon, okay? But he said recently... He said that, and I think it was on Twitter of all places, he said, everything is a drug. Family, art, causes, new shoes. We're all just tweaking our chem, our chemistry, to avoid the void. That's one pessimistic, cultural, philosophical response to the truth that the light dims and goes out. And here's what's right about it. What's right about it is it speaks to the human propensity to try to avoid that truth. To try to numb ourselves and our senses against the fact of 100% mortality rate for the human race. That's true. We try to run from it. But where that message fails is that it cannot imagine an alternative. It cannot imagine that the good parts of life, family, art, new shoes, can be more than just tweaking our chemistry. That they can be more than just a way to avoid the void. And this is what Ecclesiastes does. It imagines an alternative to that view. The teacher holds us to the truth. He says the light will dim and go out. It's all smoke. It's a puff of smoke and it's gone. You are dust and to dust you shall return. The teacher will not let us escape that truth. He holds us to it. He makes us be honest with that. But here's what's unique and beautiful, and I hope you can see about this book, is that when we hear, dust you are, and to dust you shall return, if you've grown up around the church and churches that practice the liturgical year, we associate that with Ash Wednesday, right? We get the ashes, and it's this somber reminder of our mortality. There's truth in that. But Ecclesiastes doesn't just associate that with Ash Wednesday. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. He connects it not only to Ash Wednesday, but to Mardi Gras. He says that there was a response to that that leads to enjoyment. And yet, that's a little bit of a provocative overstatement, okay? This does not excuse giving yourself to debauchery one day out of the year, okay? But he does say that we can look at it, we can stare at the void. We can look at the light going out and enjoy the light while it's on. That we can look at that truth and still 
Come back to the present, to our youth, to the good parts of our experience, as he has talked about elsewhere, food and drink and work and friendship and family. And we can genuinely, truthfully enjoy it. That that is a response of integrity to the truth of death is to enjoy life while we have it. And I hope that as a church, that one of the results of our spending time in the book of Ecclesiastes is that we're able to figure out this, I don't know if balance is the right word, but this connection of clear-eyed honesty towards the darkness of the world. That we are able to see the brokenness around us, and we are able to grieve, we are able to mourn with those who mourn, and not dismiss the pain with superficial platitudes. I hope that we are able to do that. But right alongside that, I hope that we are also able to respond to the good parts of our life with deep laughter and delight in the goodness of so much of our experience. Our relationships with each other. The food and drink that God provides for us. Our friendships, our family. Can we respond in that way? Now, there's still a disconnect for me. Okay? Because we have darkness... And we have enjoy the light while it's on. Okay? But I'm still looking at darkness and it kind of freaks me out. Okay? And yelling at me to enjoy doesn't totally deal with me being freaked out by the darkness. Okay? I need more. We need more. And this passage gives us more. Because it points us not only towards death and darkness, but towards God. It points us to, towards God as a creator. Right? Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember the one who has put dust and breath together. Remember the source of your life. And if he is the source of your life, then he is also the source of the goodness in your life. So remember that and receive His gifts with gratitude. That will teach you to rejoice. That will teach you joy. Before this passage, and for the teacher, God is more than a creator. He is also a judge. So verse 9 of chapter 11, He says, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but remember, for all these things... God will bring you into judgment. Now, we don't usually associate joy and judgment, do we? We don't think that God as judge can lead us to rejoicing. And so, we hear this voice, or we hear this verse this way. We hear it as, have fun, but not too much. Because God is going to get you for the bad things that you do. That's the way we hear this verse. 
And there's an element of that here that the teacher is reminding us that God has placed limits on us, but there is more. There is a more dominant message. And it is the message that because God is judge, you can rejoice. How do I know that? What does he say immediately after he talks about judgment? He says God will bring all of these things into judgment. And then what does he say right after that? Remove vexation. It's the word for anxiety. Remove anxiety from your life. So there is a way to know God as judge that dismisses anxiety and increases joy. And that seems strange to us, but it is a fundamental pattern throughout the Bible. Think, for example, about the Exodus story. God's people in slavery, in Egypt. God shows up as judge. He sends a series of judgments, the plagues. What happens to his people, those who are in covenant with him, those who have the blood, you remember the blood of the lamb on their doorpost? What happens to them? God judges, and they are liberated. And it leads them to a song in Exodus 15, a song of rejoicing, of joy. Because God has acted as judge, they get rejoicing. And Jesus has enacted that story, that pattern for us. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus were all acts of judgment. They were God acting as judge. And he sends Jesus who lives the perfectly innocent life, but suffers the death of the guilty, and then is raised, vindicated, judged as the righteous one, the one sent from heaven. So that if we are in him by faith, God judges us, And he says, innocent. He says, accepted. He says, loved. He says, this one in Jesus belongs to me. And that's why we can read Ecclesiastes. And hear, judgment, remove anxiety. And we can hear those things in harmony. We can hear of God's judgment in a way that dismisses anxiety and increases joy because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how Romans 8 begins. And Romans 8 is the one place in the New Testament that the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word hevel occurs in the New Testament. So if you translate the Hebrew word hevel into Greek, it occurs in the New Testament one time, and it's in Romans 8. And it's translated as futility. And the Apostle Paul tells us there, God has subjected the world to hevel, mist, futility, because of sin. But Paul, like the teacher of Ecclesiastes, calls us to rejoice in the mist. How is that possible? 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are judged innocent, righteous, accepted. And because you are judged that way, God, God has given you His Spirit. And His Spirit groans with us at the futility of this world. He mourns with us. But He not only groans and mourns with us, He also speaks to us, Paul tells us in Romans 8, and He says within us, Abba, Father. He speaks words of judgment to us. This one belongs to me. This one is loved by me. This one is my child. And that's why we can rejoice in the midst. And that's not only present reality. That is future rejoicing as well. Because if we belong to God, then we belong to His future. And Romans 8 tells us that although He has subjected the world to futility for now, He will one day free it. And God will be as judge, not only Creator, but new Creator. And if the Spirit whispers in us, Abba, Father, then we belong to that new creation. And God will take our dust, and He will pick it up, and He will reinvigorate it. He will raise us to new life. Yes, the light dims and goes to darkness. But there is a greater light beyond the darkness. There is an eternal light beyond the darkness. And if we are in Jesus, then we belong to that light. And so, Christian, rejoice. Learn joy in the life that God has given to you now. Two German researchers recently released studies on the chemical markers of stress and anxiety. Uh, They would put these little swabs in people's mouth and they would have them do activities and they would measure the changes in their chemistry uh, that are related to stress, to anxiety. One researcher experimented on people skydiving, jumping out of planes, and found that the markers of stress in general go down with each successive jump. Second researcher studied ballroom dancers in ballroom dancing competitions and found in general the level, the markers of stress stay the same from competition to competition. Doing the same routine over and over again, the levels of stress and anxiety stay in general the same. Why? What's the difference? Skydiving a fundamentally, inherently more dangerous thing to do. Why is the stress reduced there and the stress stays the same for the ballroom dancers? Where they're being judged. They're being watched and evaluated. Ecclesiastes wants to to teach us skydiving. It wants to teach us how to jump into the mist with reduced anxiety and increased joy. The gospel makes that possible. The gospel takes us from ballroom dancers 
to skydivers. Not because of the absence of judgment, but because of the presence of judgment. Because God and Jesus has said about us, you are loved, you are accepted, you belong to me, and you belong to my future. So would you hear that this morning? Would you rejoice and would you jump into the life that God has given to you and find His joy there? Let's pray.